Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear. Then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Let us pray. Father, our glorious God, we thank you for your amazing grace. The grace that you show us each day when we wake up, we get out of our beds and we breathe a new breath of air in this life. We thank you for your grace shown to sinners who do not deserve your grace. And we pray that your grace would be shown to us through these words that we read in the scriptures of how your kingdom grows and how you are the one who grows it. And what means you use to grow it. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Gospel of St. Mark, we read much about the kingdom of God. But seldom do we ask the question, what is the kingdom? Or what is the kingdom like? Well, to know, we need to ask certain questions that this text seeks to answer. First, we ask, what is the nature of the kingdom? Secondly, we'll ask, how does it grow? How does it produce? How does it spread? Thirdly, how do we know that it is growing and spreading? And fourthly, Who does the kingdom belong to? Jesus, as he is teaching and preaching the word, he reveals these things to the people and he is teaching in parables. Remember, a parable is a short story that tries to illustrate something. It is trying to illustrate something to the listeners, trying to convict them of something, maybe about themselves. And about the speaker who is speaking. It is a word picture. 
And in the previous parable, right before this text, Jesus told the story of the sower who sown the seeds of the word of God on four different types of soil. And depending on the soil, it was either snatched away, scorched, choked out, or it bore fruit. There he was speaking of individual hearts and their response to the word of God. In other words, it is important how we hear the word of God. Because the one who belongs to the kingdom, that is the Christian, the one who is saved, the one who has good soil that was tilled and plowed by God himself, by God's grace, hears and receives the word of God as it takes root, and he bears much fruit for the kingdom. This is speaking of an inner reality that is planted deep within the soil that cannot be seen fully until the harvest comes. Here Jesus goes in a similar direction, but now he is speaking more broadly of the entire kingdom and how it spreads and how it grows. Here Jesus shifts to a cluster of three parables. First, by describing the nature of the kingdom. What is the kingdom like? Well, it is a kingdom of light. It is a kingdom of light. That is the nature of the kingdom. And in order to know this kingdom, we must get to know the king of the kingdom. A a kingdom without a king is no kingdom. The kingdom comes from her king. And who is this king? At this point in our letter, Jesus is not totally revealed yet, but he is slowly revealing himself as king to his followers. And he is revealing what they are to do once they know who he is. So he tells this parable about a lamp. And this parable is basic. It is simple. It is meant for all of us to understand the logic behind it. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in? Now the better translation for this text is not a lamp, but it is the lamp. So you can say, Does the lamp come in order to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a stand? We can't see that in the English translation, but in the original language, the lamp is the subject of the entire parable. Who is the lamp? According to scripture, the lamp is all often referred to a couple of people, of persons, a couple of beings. First, it can refer to God as the supreme being, as the ultimate being. As the eternal God who dwells in unapproachable light. It can also refer to God, uh, to the word. But here he is referring to himself. Since he is both. He is both God and he is the word of God. And he has come to, into the world as the lamp of God. As we find it in Revelation 
when speaking of New Jerusalem, it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. He is speaking about himself here. And notice, common sense would tell us that a lamp is not meant to be covered. The basket that he mentions that is used to cover the lamp is speaking of a dry measuring basket. A basket used to measure dry ingredients for various projects or even recipes. This is something we should keep in mind as he uh, continues to tell this parable. So what he is saying is you wouldn't hide the lamp. The purpose of the lamp is to give the house light. And you would put it high enough so that it would light up the entire house as much as possible. You wouldn't put it under a basket or bed to dim the light or even put it out. If you did, you wouldn't know where you were going. So he is saying that he, that is Jesus, is not to be hidden. Jesus is meant to shine as he is the light of the world. He is meant to be proclaimed. This is how he shines. It is through the proclamation of his word. And you are to expose everything and everyone in that light. That is Jesus Christ. At that time, the king, his nature, and the nature of his kingdom has not been totally revealed yet. And in fact, today, we have not seen the true nature of this kingdom yet. So here, Jesus is also speaking about himself. He is speaking about his revelation and how it is gradually being revealed into the future. One day, everyone on this planet, dead or living, will see this king. This is what he is saying. He will not be hidden forever. The king and all of his glory will one day be exposed. For nothing is hidden except to be, manif- be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. At this time, he is hidden from the eyes of the Jewish leaders who have hardened their hearts against him. He is hidden from those who follow him for various other reasons than actually believing in him. He is even hidden to his own disciples. But as he slowly reveals himself to his his disciples, and as he slowly reveals himself to you, as you read his word, as you hear sermons and so on, he says to you, pay attention. Pay attention. I am the lamp of God to teach you the way. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. As you hear his word. He is revealing himself to you and he is giving you more light. He is illumining you to who he is. And he says, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. Uh, Most people who read this text 
Think about the passage about judging others. Right? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That is not what he is referring to here. He is going back to the basket. He is going back to the dry measuring basket that, that is used to cover the lamp. He is saying the measure you use to cover the lamp or uncover the lamp is the measure that will be used to cover or uncover you. Jesus is revealing himself to you and to the people in his day. And the more we turn away, the more we reject the light that he is shining, the more we reject his word, is the same measure that he will use to shut you out of the kingdom. It will be used against you on judgment. If you cover Jesus with a basket, trying to stop his message from spreading, you will ultimately be covered and face judgment. You turn your back on him, he turns his back on you. If you do not receive him and his kingdom now, you may not be able to later. And it will be too late to turn to him. Like the Pharisees who heard but never understood because Jesus blinded them. And he says, and still more will be added to you. He, he continues to reveal himself to the people around him and those who have hardened against him, the blind and the deaf. And they become more blind and deafer the more they hear the word. Remember what he said when he referred to Isaiah and why he used parables so that they may indeed, indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. God has given them over to judgment. But the ones who do not cover the lamp and allow it to shine will be given more light. If you receive the word of Jesus, your understanding will grow. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This reminds me again of the lampstand in Revelation. And how he warned those churches that if they did not repent, the lampstand would be taken away. This means that the light of Christ would be removed from those churches if we are not turning to God from our sin and shining His light to our neighbors, being faithful to His word and spreading that word. More light will be given to us and light will be taken away if we are not doing this. But if we are fulfilling our call, we will bear more fruit like the good soil. If we are receiving his word and his word is taking root and it is bearing fruit, more will be given to us. But to those who depend on themselves, their own ingenuity, their own logic, who explain away their sin and not receive the word of God, they really have nothing and everything will be taken away from them. 
they're not receiving the word of Christ, everything they think they have, they will lose on the day of judgment. One of the most terrifying realities, as we read from our confession earlier, is a church who claims to belong to Jesus Christ, yet they have their lampstand removed. The light of Christ no longer shines there. We can probably think of a few in our day. They're not receiving the word of Christ anymore. They're not receiving the truth of the gospel. They question the nature of the word of God, who Jesus truly is as both God and man, the king of the kingdom. After they reject those foundational truths, then they move on to question the ethics, the morals, and the standards of the kingdom. They reject the holiness of God and the holiness that we are called to reflect. And remember, these are those who are highly educated. They have it all figured out. They rely on their degrees and their backgrounds. Yet all the while, the lamp is being covered. Because the light of Christ no longer shines there. The word of God is no longer there and it is replaced with therapeutic sermons that meet felt needs, motivational speeches and the like. Sermons about my dog, nature, going green, teaching your kids good manners, all these other things except for Christ. All the while, the light of Christ is being snuffed. It's being covered. We must be careful that this is not happening in us and that this is not happening in our own churches. That the word of God is being received with joy and preached without compromise, without fluff or trivial topics. When the world calls good evil and evil good, we say no without qualification. And we preach Christ And we live as Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified as the only way for evil men to be saved. For we all are evil. We know that, right? We are evil to the core. Though we may not act on it. We may not act on our evil. But we are evil. We are evil. And the only way to be saved is through Christ and Him crucified. The lamp which is Christ is to be allowed to shine in our churches. And we are called to expose the darkness of sin with the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it means for this lamp to shine in our day. But now that he has spoken to the nature of the kingdom, and now we know this is the nature of the kingdom, and how we are warned not to dim or darken the lamp by covering it, and how we are to expose the lamp to all the world, that Jesus is to be preached and proclaimed. Secondly, he tells two parables about how the kingdom grows. And it is connected to this. It grows in two ways, because... As we allow that lamp to shine, the light will spread. 
We are to spread the news of the lamp. But it doesn't grow as many have taught over the years. In the 1970s, there was a movement that was started by Donald McGavern, Robert Schuller, and C. Peter Wagner. It was called the Church Growth Movement. Uh, two of the movement's most popular heirs are Rick Warren and Bill Hybels. And they teach that the way that the kingdom grows is by studying man. And giving man what he wants or needs. It grows by studying sociology, that is the study of society and all of its problems. And it grows by studying psychology, studying the way people think. Or it grows by studying anthropology, the study of humans and the, why they do what they do. And this is all in order to know what he needs and teach how the gospel fulfills those needs. And oftentimes they rely on big business models and methods of marketing to grow the kingdom. But according to the scriptures, this is not how the kingdom grows. Does the gospel fulfill any of our needs? Yes, to a limited extent. It fulfills our most important need, the need of salvation from the wrath of God. But the gospel doesn't promise to fix society in this world. It doesn't promise to fix all of our mental illnesses in this world. And it doesn't promise to unite humanity, to make humans work together and to become one. It doesn't promise any of these things in this world. What, does, what it does promise is salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, do any of these methods that they use useful? Yes, it's useful. They are useful. Like being kind. That is a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Welcoming our neighbors and our visitors into church. We're Christians, aren't we? And we are called to do such things. But methods and the methods that they use have a limit. They have limits. And they do not grow the kingdom. Methods are useful. But they do not grow the kingdom. Because the problem with the, this movement and the methods that are used is that people by nature hate the truth. We hate the truth. By nature, if left to themselves, people hate Jesus Christ and who he truly is. They might like a version of Jesus as long as they're speaking to their felt needs. But by nature, who Jesus truly is, people hate him. They hate him. We love the darkness. We don't go toward the light. We try to hide from the light like Adam and Eve. So preaching a message to cater to people's needs is not what they need. It's not what we need. We need the word of God. 
We need the Word of God. And those methods can actually cover the lamp. It can actually cover it. It goes well when a church is growing in numbers because we are covering the truth. When we don't speak truthfully about sin and where sin leads. But once people find out the truth, they will scatter. They will leave. People who are in darkness will scatter once they are exposed to the light. Because our human nature will never gravitate to God. Never. We hate the true and living God by nature. Like Paul says, no one seeks God. No one. That means nobody. Nobody at all. None of us seek God. There are no such things as seekers. There are those who are seeking an idea about God. But they're not seeking the true and living God in Jesus Christ. So you're probably saying, well, then it is impossible for this kingdom to grow. And it seems impossible if left to us, if left to ourselves. But how does it grow? Jesus tells us how. And the one thing we will notice is that it is out of our control. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He's going back to his previous parable and how... The sower sown the seeds of the word of God and it took root in good soil. But, but this time the sower is not God. It is a regular farmer. For it says, the man sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The thing to focus on is that the man knows not how. It grew. That is us. Uh, How many conferences have been led by the experts that try to teach us about how to grow our church? Well, Jesus tells us we, we just scatter the seeds. Other than that, we have no idea how it grows. We have no control over it. It is saying that the kingdom grows beyond what we can see. It's just like when I mow the lawn. I don't actually see nor do I know how it grows in all of its specifics. I just know it grows. And sometimes it grows too fast for me to cut. As I look over across the street, each week I look, I notice the corn grew. I don't know how. I know it needs water and sunlight like everything else. But I don't know exactly how all that works. I think there are people who are paid to do that. I don't know. I'm not sitting out there second by second watching it as it grows. Let someone else do that. I would lose my mind. But I look out and I say, hmm, it grew. I don't know how. It's not up to me. But it grew. 
Well, the same goes for the kingdom. It is out of our control. It says the earth produces by itself, meaning the kingdom has power within itself to grow itself. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, we just, the kingdom just moves around and it just, people just gravitate as it grows. No. What it is saying, what this text is saying, is that it has power to grow itself to defeat all obstacles and op- opposition as it has been, been given the power by a source. And that source is God. It can only be a divine work of God within that kingdom. And the promise is that hell will not prevail against it because God is the one who grows the kingdom. Not our methods. Methods are useful. But our methods are not going to grow the kingdom. At this point, Jesus' ministry may have seemed fruitless because his preaching wasn't having much of an effect. But what he is saying is that it will soon produce a, a harvest as his word is sown. As the word of God, through the power of God, grows that kingdom. As his word is sown in the hearts of his disciples, the good soil. And they will remember this. When do they remember this? They remember this when he dies on a cross. And his body, his flesh, is planted as a seed in the ground for three days. And then he rises as the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. What he is saying is that his word will not return empty. It is the word that needs to be planted in the hearts of men. And today we too are called to spread mustard seeds. And we as a church may feel as though the word is not doing much or we're not doing enough. All because we haven't seen results. It may seem like nothing is happening. Maybe in our community or those around us. But all we are called to do is scatter the seeds. And faithfully spread those seeds. As Paul says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God. He puts only God who gives the growth. Some say, well, that that just sounds too easy. Actually, for those who actually do it, it is not that easy to scatter seeds. Especially when you have four different types of soil. Because we often ask ourselves, well, why is that church or that denomination growing and we seem to be so small? Well, for those who are in the PCA, it might not apply to you, but for the OPC, we seem so small. I say, I have no idea. I don't know the reasons why. What we should be asking ourselves, what we should be asking ourselves, are we receiving the word as it is faithfully preached? Are we living in light of that word? Numbers should not be our ultimate concern. Numbers is our concern as we keep track of our members. That is our concern as we seek to serve. But as far as growth and the numbers should not be our concern. Leave numbers to God. That is his work. Faithfulness is our concern. And if we are not being faithful in one area or another, 
We should examine ourselves. Our methods will not grow the church. Our methods will not grow the church. Sometimes when we evangelize, and often when you evangelize, you don't get a response right away. Most of the time. And it frustrates us. It frustrates us. Why? Because we want immediate results. We want the control. We want the power. But the truth is, we may never see the fruits of our labors in this world. We will never know how many people came to faith because we invited them to church to hear the word or handed them a bulletin or a tract or shared the love of Jesus Christ to a hurting soul. We don't understand how powerful His words are. Not so much our words, but His words are. Once it is planted as a seed in the hearts of sinners. There will be those in the kingdom that will be there because God used you as a vessel of mercy. And we may never know it in this world. But we will rejoice in the next. And get this, the kingdom is still growing today. The harvest grows slowly, but it grows fully according to the Lord who gives it growth. And when he is ready, after he produces the harvest, and when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come, speaking of the last days and when Jesus returns to take his people home. Thirdly, he tells us of a second way that the kingdom grows. If we analyze church history and how the church has grown over the centuries, it is an amazing testimony of God's Faithfulness to what he has said and to what he has promised. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So he's saying two things here. First, he's saying that the kingdom of God starts off as small as a grain of mustard seed, which is one of the smallest on earth. It begins small and unnoticed. Much like most of our churches today. They are small and unnoticed, But what he is saying is, do not be discouraged. God gives the growth. Because when a mustard seed is sown and it grows, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen a mustard plant from Israel compared to to the other garden plants. Uh, They can be confused with weeds. uh, Because they grow quickly in an uncontrolled manner. And they can get very long. In good conditions, they can grow up to nine feet high. That's a plant, not a tree. Nine feet high. And we know that the growth of the kingdom is out of our control. And it will be much larger than we think. And we know how it grows. It grows by the planting of the Word of God. It it is not grown by entertainment. It is not grown by attractions or turning our sanctuary into a concert hall on Sundays. 
It does not grow by being seeker-friendly. Like I said, there's no such thing as seekers. It's a shame to see large churches who are seeker-friendly, and there's a big attraction. A lot of people are there for the attraction, but it can be a distraction from the Word of God. And oftentimes the Word of God is not being faithfully preached, unfortunately. But remember, the disciples were a small group of 12 men which will spread the mustard seed of the Word of God. And it will spread in the coming generations of, around the world as it has reached us here. Almost 7,000 miles away. Millions upon billions of people later. Why? Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. And these churches have been a messed up group all along the way. But God in His Word has been planted in the hearts of men. And it has grown. This is a promise. That is what this text is truly trying to show us. Not that the mustard plant will be so great. But that we have a great God in growing a great kingdom. God will grow His kingdom. And He can be trusted to grow His kingdom. Not our methods. I keep saying our methods can be good, but God is greater. God is greater. And this kingdom will grow so large and God's reign will take over the world. And get this, it cannot be stopped. Today there are many people, enemies of God, who think persecution is going to limit the church. That persecution, putting us in prison or killing us, is going to stop the word of God from spreading. Actually, according to the scriptures and according through history, persecution fans the flame. It fans the flame. What happens when the church is being pushed into a corner? We push back with much force. Not with arms, not with weapons, but with the word of God. And oftentimes it's during these times that the word spreads quickly like a fire. Let us remember that. That it is God who is faithful to his church that will spread this word. Also, he's saying that his kingdom will be a place of rest and blessing. This is where the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Much like when we read from Ezekiel 17, when speaking of the faithfulness of God and how he prepares a place for his people from every nation to find rest. Because it was birds from all different kinds that were making their nests. It is a place where sinners can come for rest from their weary lives of sin. And in our gathering, and that's one thing we can take from the church growth movement, one takeaway is that our gathering ought to be a place, not of despair, but a place of rest, hope, and restoration for sinners who have been turned by God, called out of this world by God, because that is what the church is, called out of the world by God to gather with other saints who are seeking God's grace, who are seeking God's grace. And that moves to our next and final point. So far we know that the kingdom must have a king, and this king gives it light. 
The kingdom bears the light of Christ. Secondly, we know that the kingdom grows only by the power of God, not the efforts of man. Thirdly, we know that the kingdom grows from small beginnings. And it is to many people unseen. It cannot be traced so easily because it begins in the heart of each man. Now fourthly, he turns to a small group of his disciples. It says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them. He is planting the seeds on the four different soils as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. That doesn't mean he only spoke in parables, but that he used them frequently in his teaching. But privately, it says, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. He has planted the word on good soil. Why is that? Why is it to only his disciples he explained everything? Because the kingdom is exclusive. The kingdom is exclusive. It is not all inclusive as it is being taught by many today. It is exclusive to his disciples. If you haven't picked up on it already in the sermon, he gives us a hint as to what is the kingdom? Who does the kingdom belong to? And many, many scholars, teachers, and preachers have debated this very issue over the years. In many circles, the kingdom includes something and everything outside of the church. Uh, they'll say, well, there's the kingdom over there. That, that is where the kingdom is. Or, or there's the kingdom over there. It could be a homeless shelter or a, a soup kitchen. In the 60s, the the kingdom of God being manifested was uh, a common phrase. And and this was describing uh, a political movement. The kingdom of God being manifested was often described when, uh, was often used when describing when humanity would unite for a common cause. Such as political activism. And the way uh, to achieve the kingdom is through Political activism, being active in political situations in our society. My question was always, well, where is Jesus in that kingdom? Where is the king of the king? We know the nature of the kingdom must be attached to the king. It's not detached from the king. Where is Jesus? Where is God? Unfortunately, till this day, that is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. The problem is, where is God in that kingdom? Many people believe that the kingdom of God is a utopia that is coming. This is what it means, by the way, if you're labeled, if you've been labeled or are labeled a progressive, that's what it means. We're we're progressing towards this utopia. Where all of mankind will unite and have a share in everything. And where everyone will have the same thing. No one will be poor. No one will go hungry. All will be treated fairly and justly. That is the kingdom of God for many people today. But the problem with this idea is two things. Sin and death. Sin and death. As long as we are in this world the way we are, we will always have sin and death. There will be no utopia. 
Someone will mess it up. Maybe it'll be me. But someone will mess it up. We're not progressing. Yes, I admit we have progressed in medicine, technology. But the reason why I'm not against populating the earth. I'm all about lots of kids and all that. But the reason why is that there are more people, which means there is more sin and death. And so we need the medicine and technology for sickness, disease, and death. We're not progressing towards a utopia or a kingdom of God on earth made by man. Sin and death will not be taken away from this world as we know it. So here, here, he turns to his disciples. He turns to his disciples away from the rest of the crowd and explains everything to them and leaves the others blind. That sounds harsh. That sounds harsh. But he does so as the sovereign Lord, as the gracious God who chose to, to set anyone aside, to set aside these disciples who did not deserve his grace. He doesn't explain everything to the rest of those who are surrounding him. He is giving his disciples the secret of the kingdom. So the kingdom is made up of those whom he has revealed his mysteries. The kingdom is not manifested in a worldly utopia. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is manifested visibly in this world in the church. You won't see the kingdom of God manifested outside of the church. As you, a Christian, does good works in the world, that's good, but that's not where the kingdom is. The kingdom is right here as we gather. Yes, the kingdom will be made up of a new world or new Jerusalem, but we shouldn't focus so much on environment, right? The environment is not the substance. The substance of the kingdom is the people of God. Those who have been turned to Jesus Christ. The new world is made up by God for his disciples. Jesus promised, I go to prepare a place for you. That's the kingdom. That is the kingdom. And how do we know we belong to this kingdom? We don't cover the lamp. We don't cover the lamp. We don't hide Christ under the basket. And for those who have not turned to Christ, we don't hide from Christ. Don't hide from Christ. He is the light of the world. And He will expose you in all of your sin. All of your sin. And He will forgive you once you turn to Him. If you have received His word. And He will turn you around. Receive the word of God. Feed on it. Let it grow within you. Increase and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and His Word. And you will not be unfruitful. You will not be unfruitful on the day of harvest. Amen.